All right, so let's let's start looking at our our statement of faith, and um, and as we uh, before we actually go line by line, I wanted to start off with just some introductory notes about the statement of faith, and uh, just have an introduction, a quick introduction of the statement of faith, and um, just kind of ask a couple questions and and what it is, what it, what's about it, why have it, and and things like that. Uh, so. What is uh, a statement of faith? What is what is a statement of faith? Why does why do churches or why do we want to have a statement of faith? Well, a statement of faith is a as you've hopefully been reading it, you can see it uh, is that it is a summary of right doctrinal beliefs. Okay, right doctrinal beliefs or right orthodoxy. All right, so um, it is as you saw point by point of of uh, very basic but very important foundational topics of of what is being taught through scripture and um and it is uh that's what it is just a good summary of of what we believe um this isn't something that's new these this is something statement of faiths or confessions also known as um have the churches have used for since the beginning so this isn't something that is something new that we're just inventing and to be better than anybody else. Uh, I, I think that what, one of the reasons why we're doing it is in a sense to align us back to, uh, to what our forefathers and brothers and sisters have done for a millennia. So our, uh, I got a couple examples that I, that I wrote down, and some of them you might have, you might have heard of. Um, I think one of the very first was the Apostles' Creed. Uh, how many of y'all are familiar with the Apostles' Creed? Heard it before. You know these two guys are, and over here, Miss Karen's like, "Yes, I got it." Um, but the the Apostles' Creed, you can look look that one up. That's really good. Um, I think even Matt Chandler preached a series through the Apostles' Creed, and it was really really good. Might be worth listening to. Um, that was uh, uh, put together and adopted in 325 A.D. Um, and the second one was the Nicene Creed. And that one was in 381 A.D. Uh, so I'm just I'm just highlighting the the big ones. Um, the Chalcedonian Creed was another one, 451. And and each one of these, by the way, uh, like the Apostles' Creed. It uh, and and Bill, you can correct me if I'm wrong, or you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But it it came out of it was it was birthed out of it was written because of false doctrine, right? False doctrine began to find its way into the church as it was even in the first century, right? That's what Paul was correcting. And, um, and you might remember what, exactly why the Apostle Creed was put together. Do you remember? Was it the, uh, it was the, on the deity, right? The Christ? Yeah. yeah it was the, uh, what's his name of Alexandria? Yeah. Um, I want to say Athanasius or something like that. Yeah. It wasn't Arius. That was Augustine. Um, I can't remember now. I should have yeah. looked this up, but yeah. But, yeah, it was deity of Christ. Yep, and then I believe the Nicene Creed was with the Holy Spirit, yeah. right? The hypostatic union and things like that. Um, yeah. So, uh, so th- see these creeds they were they were put together for because of these you know where they were like everybody we just we just assume Jesus is God. Right? We assume these things, or we assume that the Holy Spirit is God. And then someone comes in and says, no, it's a little bit lesser, or it's this or that, and, and, and Jesus isn't lesser, or he's lesser here, and, or he's his own, his own separate God, right? 
um, you know, and so they they come in and everyone's like, ah, something's not right. This, you know, totally rubbed wrong. And so the church gathers together and, and they, they meet in these councils um, at, you know, on these dates and they, they search the scripture. They study the scriptures. They pour over the scripture and, and determine, no, this guy's wrong. This guy's, a, this guy's a heretic, right? This is back in the day where they weren't afraid to call heretics heretics. And uh, um, Athanasius and Arius, Pelagius, Augustine, Luther, Erasmus, things like that. So, so they're always, because a guy introduced this new enlightened word, right? And, and so they brought these in. So the Chalcedonian Creed's another one. That was 451. Um, a little bit more modern, I guess you would say, the Westminster Confession in 1546. Of course, we skipped quite a bit there. Um, and that's Presbyterian, mainly, right? And that's, but we've heard of, how many of y'all have heard of the Westminster Confession of Faith? Right? I know I'm, I'm kind of mainly looking on this side now because I know you guys got it. Um, so, yeah, so the Westminster Confession of Faith Presbyterian, uh, still a really good confession, right? Still one to look at. In fact, the Westminster was used in, in writing our next one, and that is the... Uh, um, the London Confession of Faith, which was distinctly Baptist and a Reformed Baptist, and they used the Westminster Confession of Faith, and this one was in 1689, um, and that was the second London Confession, correct, in 1689, so there's one before that, but notably even more worthy, I guess, is the 1689, the one we're going to highlight tonight. Um, so all of those great confessions, right? Westminster, we wouldn't, we wouldn't adhere to everything. Why? Because we're Baptists. For Baptists. And that's why the Baptists looked at the Westminster and said, Well, this is good, but we think you're kind of apostate here on these things. So we're gonna we're gonna fix that in our own way and, and we're gonna show that we're we're Baptists. So so this is why confessions or this is what con- statements of faith are, confessions. And and when I say confessions, I'm also saying kind of statements of faith. Okay? Does that make sense? We cool on that? Yes? Cool. Yeah. cool. All right. Response is good. That's me. You're still breathing. All right. Um, one thing about a, a statement of faith or a confession of faith, uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is not an inerrant statement, right? It's not, um, you know, what does that mean when I say it's, it's, uh, it's not inerrant? True. What's that? If it's not inerrant. If it's not it's inerrant. Fair, true. True. It's man-written. It wasn't from man-written. And if it's man-written, then it can have oh, errors. errors. So you not. Yeah, sorry. It was kind of confusing. It was like double negative almost. Um, something that is uh, what we would call Scripture, right, the inerrant Word of God, right, without errors, right? And, wow. and we present this. Sorry, it's double negative. It's hard to understand. Um, so when we present this, this is our statement of faith or this is our confession of faith, um, we're not saying that this is, we're putting this right next to Scripture, right? We're, we're not Catholics, we're not Mormons, and, and we're not Jehovah's Witnesses, right? We're not, we're not doing that. We're not putting these things next to, and, or, or even the Episcopalian, right? We're not, we're not saying that. This is not an errant word. This is not inspired by God. It came out of the inspired Word of God, but it's not. But, they, but it's just a summary of right doctrine and belief. Make sense? All right, so that answers our first question. What is the statement of faith? Clear as mud. Here we go. So if that's the case, if, it is, if it's not an inerrant statement, and if it's just a, 
uh, a summary of right orthodoxy and belief and, and stuff like that. Why? Why do we need to have a statement of faith? This is a, a question that myself and Bill and, and, and Kenny got really good at answering every month for about a year. Uh, we got that question asked every single time we, 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 we met together with this particular group. Why do we have to have it? If, if we have the Bible, isn't that enough? Isn't the Bible our, our statement of faith or our confession of faith? We just, if someone says something, you know, that may not sound right, well, we believe the Bible, right? We believe the Bible. Or what if we said, well, we have the Baptist faith and message, which is good. Anybody read, have anybody's ever read that before? Read the Baptist faith message? One, it's me, Bill. I know you read it. I'm scared. Wake up your mind. That's right. Like a couple of us read it. That's right. I already scared you guys. I'm sorry. So the Baptist faith and message, right? Uh, and, and that's what we've heard, right? Is how do we answer this question? Why do we need to have a, a statement? Why does Sovereign Grace Church need to adopt and affirm something separate than maybe the Baptist faith and message, which if you've never heard of, then don't worry about it, but maybe the Bible, right? Why do we have to do that? Well, Let's, let's talk about that. Let's give a defense. Let me talk about that and give a defense of why, uh, why we need to have a statement of faith, why our, our church should have a statement of faith. Um, the first thing that I wrote down is uh, as, a, as a summary of doctrinal statements, right, um, that this is a gift for the church. It's a gift for the church. And it's a gift to the church because it's helpful for everybody who teaches, whether it you know be a small group leader, elder, whatever, it is it is something that we can always say this is what we believe. And teaching outside of those boundaries, saying something different or contrary, protects the church, protects the body, protects you, protects me, protects the listeners, and it gives you know so it, pro- it protects the body. It also protects the teacher in a sense, not to. Not to say something that, or or to believe something that uh, that that we believe to either not be important enough to say this is what we believe to be a member of Sovereign Grace Church. Uh, not to say something outside of that, like you have to be an all millennialist, right? A certain end view time viewpoint, right? You have to have a certain end view viewpoint to come to be a member of our church, right? That, and this would help protect the church. So it's a gift to the church because it gives us a quick boundary of, uh, uh, for that. So it's helpful for all the teachers in the church to keep for teaching to be aligned. It's also helpful uh, uh, for, for the elders because it helps the elders to have a uh, uh, wisdom and guidance and, and knowing how to, uh, to, to bind uh, the conscience of someone who uh, who wants to stray outside, right? Who, so, so we can always point to this when they say, well, I don't know if this is true or I don't know if this is right or, or whatnot. We can always point to this as this is the aligning document of our church, right? And, and there's, a, there's sort of an authority uh, behind that because this, uh, this is what we believe. And what we believe as a statement of faith is what's come out of the scripture, right? And if, if you spend some time with them, I'm hoping that you interacted with each line and started looking up those texts and, and seeing, well, that, that makes sense. Make, I, I can see, 
I see that, and, and I'm hoping in these first two points at least that you've seen that in some of the teaching that we've already done uh, throughout these last, you know, these past months, and seeing it. So it's a gift. It's a gift to the church, uh, and so not only is it a gift to the church, but it's also a gift to visitors. It's a gift to visitors. Uh, it, it shows a, a, a visitor who who may be more discerning and and would want to know what we believe, and and helps them quickly make a decision if they believe what we believe or not. And so it's it's a gift to uh, to to a visitor. Um, and and I think one thing it also does it also helps gaining the trust of that person if they ever want to join come in you know membership or not. Uh, because we've been very open and honest from the very beginning. We haven't hidden anything of what we believe. That's a gift, right? That's, that's a gift. You know, we don't, you don't have to hide. We have, nothing to, we have nothing to hide in what we believe. Right, this, is, this is very particular on, on the things that we, that, that we believe. So can you see that? Can you guys see those two, those two things so, um, for, our, for our statement of faith? Uh, so to illustrate that, um, our, uh, our statement of faith acts as a um, acts as if they were bumpers in a bowling alley, right? You ever been to a bowling alley and they put the bumpers up, you know, for the little kids or maybe for you when you're bowling, so it bounces you. And so that's what the statement of faith does. It, it, keeps, the, it keeps the church aligned doctrinally and theologically down the lane as we go. And hopefully we're not bouncing off this sucker all the time because <laughs> that, that would be harsh. That would be hard. Hopefully we're, we're going to coast right down the middle. But that's what it, it acts like bumpers. And then in the middle, there's, there's a freedom, right? There's, there's, a, there's a freedom. So it acts as, a, as, as uh, bumpers to keep us within the truth so we don't stray too far from the wrong direction. Well, you know, one of the points that I did, I did miss that I was just thinking, as it is a gift to the church and gift to the elders, it's also a gift to the membership in, in a sense that if you hear one of the elders teaching out a line, um, you, you know, you, you have you have certain grounds and responsibility to to correct uh, and in accordance. So, so very good there. Um, the church is a is a countercultural institution, right? Do you guys know what I'm saying there? Do you know what I'm saying? Countercultural institution. What am I saying there? Yeah. Against. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give me an example of, of, of that, why the church would be countercultural. You mean against modern day? Got it. Yep. Well, it's, uh, I guess you could say, uh, if the church is a light, like you say, you know, living, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, you could use abortion as a. There you go. Yep. Life. Okay. There you go. Anything like that, right? It shows that we're we're countercultural, and, and 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 then when we look at this document and we present to the world that we say that there is only one God, and that the only way to receive salvation is through Christ. What are we saying? We are being very countercultural, and in many parts of our own our own society you will be considered a hate monger, right? A bigot. And, of course, we definitely can tackle on abortion. We can tackle on homosexuality. And, and, and then now we're, you know, we're not even allowed to the table anymore um, for those issues. So we are, we're a very countercultural state, uh, institution. Our church is a very countercultural institution. Our church is countercultural to even the church culture here. In our statement of faith, 
draws a very definitive line in, in a culture. And it says, this is what we believe. This is what we confess. Right, this is, this is what we confess. Does that, does that make sense? Does that make sense to everybody? Um, because uh, we, we know this, right? We, we know this. Churches generally do not drift into orthodoxy. Even when they're pushed. Orthodoxy, right belief, right doctrine, right, right, right understanding, um, right. Churches rarely drift into that. They, they just don't. Uh, and so for us taking, um, uh, for us drawing the line here, I think from the very get-go, um, it, it allows us to, to have a unity and an integrity uh, with, with, with God's revealed word. Um, protects us from, uh, I think, endless debates on, on particular theological matters. Because guess what? They're settled. Right? Here they are, right? So we, there's no debate when it comes to who God is and who Christ is and who, you know, how, how we are saved and what is the gospel and the purpose of grace and sanctification and all of these things, right? Here, here, here it is. It's like, here it is, right? Here's, here's what it is. It keeps us on, and, and if we're not stuck in these endless debates, then, then we can be focused on, our, on the mission, right? We, we can be focused on, on the mission at hand. And, and what we need, what we need to be doing as, as a church. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Having this uh, uh, document as well as a covenant, um, I think will will point people and point uh, those who who want to know about us or start learning about us or join or come a part of us. It it points them to saying that we we're a people of the Bible, that we we hold truth very sacred, and we hold truth that's something very important. And and uh, if if you haven't caught over the last couple of weeks, is that's that's my hope for this church. That's point one, is is that um, we would be seeing people who is who love the truth, that we love the truth, and and these are things that will that will point uh, will point to the evidence that we uh, that we love the truth. We we hold it we hold it dearly. So it's it's useful, right? It has it has usefulness, a usefulness for uh, a new members class. Right, has uh, so you can teach this basically through a new members class, just like what we're going to be doing over these weeks, is to say this is this is what we believe, this is who this is who we are, right? No, once again, no hiding, right? No, no, no holding back, right? This this is what we this we believe. It's it's helpful for new Christians. Can you imagine taking a new believer who was just baptized and 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 sitting down with them every week and going through this with them each week? Let me ask you this. How helpful would that have been for you the week after you were baptized? How many years did you go and not even know about the inerrancy of Scripture or who God is and, and what the fall really was? I mean, you heard about sin, you heard about God and the holiness of God, and you heard about Scripture, but, but not really walk through step by step. How about using this in evangelism? I bet you could use this as evangelism. I bet you could take this as a as a tool to walk with an unbeliever who may ask questions about, uh, about what you believe about God. Is God really this way? Well, let me show you. I, I can see here in point one, all the scripture texts, I can walk through this person uh, about how I can show how God is holy. And then I can talk about salvation. It, it, is this not just a walk through the gospel? Right? So what a, what a great, useful tool um, for the body, for the church, not only for, our, uh, for new Christians, but also for 
uh, e evangelism. Uh, a regular encouragement and a reminder of the gospel. Like I said, we'll, we'll just walk through it. It shows us the importance of the ordinances, the things that we take. Um, it's helpful in finding new elders and new deacons, right? As we show, this is what, what, what we believe, um, as well as uh, it's what we, what we say in, in the elders' covenant. When we did that, uh, when we uh, affirmed that uh, back in February, that, that the elders must adhere to the statement of faith, right? So there is the, the defense for the statement. Have any questions on that? Anybody want to add anything? I miss anything? Okay, so so moving now to our particular statement, right? And you see that first line there that this is a statement of faith that was adopted from the uh, what is called the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of 1853. So so as we talked about the different creeds and confessions earlier, th this is another one just in the line. Of of those other of those other confessions, so I want to give you just because it says that uh, I just kind of want to be a nerd for a moment and give you all just a brief history of where this comes from. Is that okay? So in uh, in uh, one of the, the the most notable confessions in the United States, so we know about the one in England, which was or, or London. You guys remember the date of that one? Sixteen. 89, all right, that's right. So that one was written, uh, a Baptist Confession of Faith. Well, we are in America now, and guess what? We don't want nothing from London. And so they write uh, their own Confession of Faith. And, of course, they're smart. They used the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and we now have what is called the Philadelphia Confession of Faith of 1742, right? There were good Baptists in Philadelphia in 1742. Right, so there we have we have that, and and uh, some of y'all might know about the, the the famous Charleston Baptist Association, right? That came out of actually came out of that Philadelphia Associa uh, Philadelphia Confession. So, so we have some roots with these confessions. By the way, we have we have some roots with these um, with these confessions. So the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of Faith was an originally written in 1833, right? So a few years after the 17. 42, a couple things happened in the meantime, right? You know, Revolutionary War, stuff like that. You know, states began to form and, and such. So in the meantime, though, in, in what was happening was that Baptists uh, started, uh, they, they predominantly used the Philadelphia Confession. And in 1814, there was a group of Baptists who, because of missions, all these students were coming out of these colleges, and they wanted to go on mission. They wanted to go to China. Uh, Judson Rice is one of these guys, William Carey, all this. I mean, they, they wanted to go. And so these church leaders started seeing there's a need for us to come together and to do missions. And so they, they came together in 1814, May 18th, 1814, in Philadelphia. There was 33 delegates, most of them from the north, some of them from the south. Uh, most notable one from the south was Richard Furman. You guys heard of that name before? We beat them in football, right? Furman University. Richard Furman, came, and he was actually the president of that of that convention. And they called that. It's a ridiculous name. It's really long, but it was called short. The Trilineal Con uh, Convention. They met every three years. Try so I think three every three years they met. Do you really want to know? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Here it is. The General Missionary Convention of the Baptist Denomination in the United States for Foreign Missions. That's pretty good. 
Imagine that website. <laughs> Imagine that website. So that's why they just called it the trilineal. Okay, that's why in history we just call it the trilineal convention because they met over three years. Yeah. So so at that at that point they begin to gather, and as they begin to gather, the same things were happening as we talked about with the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. We need to have something that we believe. We need to have the bowling alley bumpers to keep us and to keep our missionaries that we're going to support in line. And so in 1833, the, uh, the New Hampshire Baptist Convention or, uh, Confession was, was adopted for the Trilineal Convention, uh, which eventually led to what we would call the Southern Baptist Convention. Right? Southern Baptist Convention was formed in 1845 in Greenville, South Carolina. Richard Furman was part of it, and unfortunately... The Southern Baptist Convention split from what we were talking about, the Trilineal Convention, a lot over slavery. I am a new school Southern Baptist guy. I totally wish we would get rid of the name Southern Baptist. I totally wish. Because we're not, we're not Southern Baptist. How do you tell a Southern Baptist church in Boston, Massachusetts, that they're a Southern Baptist church? If they're not, we can, we can have a better name than that. Anyways, we don't pay any money to them. so <laughs> No, they don't want to be Northern Baptist. But we don't pay any money to to the Southern Baptist Convention, so I have no right to say anything. So, um, so, so here is that, right? We have, we, have, we have these conventions, and thank God for repentance and, and the convention and things like that. Um, and, and then in 1925, the SBC actually adopted the, uh, the Baptist faith and message for the very first time, and it was almost a rewrite from the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. So it was brought into line. Now, there's a lot of history there and there's more to it than some of the things that I that I said, but but this is the line in which we we now have the um, the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. It goes back to a really good solid time um, and and a really good Baptist confession. Uh, the Philadelphia is a wonderful wonderful confession of faith. Um, the 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 London is a really wonderful confession of faith, and and we could point to either one of those and say those are great. Um, but they have some big issues in the sense that they're just too dang long for us, right? For me, for Kenny, for Bill, well, that for was the Kelly. Coming up with the... Yes. That, for me, that was the biggest thing, was to have something a little bit more concise, something a little bit easier, something a little bit more adopted. Because that was going to be one of my questions. Huh? Yeah, and that was going to be the next question I was going to answer, but go ahead. Ben, ben certainly kind of danced around it, but the, kind of the fundamental reason why why there was a change, why these confessions or statements of faith were were changed over the course of the decades is that the statement of faith is always intended to address today's people, today's yeah. church. And so it's the issues that are confronting us today yep. that we address uh, in our statement of faith. And there were issues that were of great significance to the people who wrote the first London confession that are would be just totally outside the scope of our yeah. human experience. Yeah. And so, so yeah, they go along and they delete those and they would add in statements that, uh, that address the, the concerns of their day. What a, what's the difference between the Philadelphia and this one or the next one on missions? What the, did they add if they had the concern about missions? No, it wasn't a concern on mission. It was it was at, it was making an updated confession for that time, for that convention that was had the purpose of doing missions. So so it's saying if you're going to be a missionary, if we're going to support you as a missionary, 
these right. are the, the two yeah. of our state. Very good, very good. And and so you can see ours says 1853, and I mentioned the one that was adopted in 1833. The only difference between the two is a, like a couple words, meaning, and the word was updated in a sense. Uh, I read both of them, and, and I found very few things. Uh, I, I felt like the 1853 just read a little bit better, um, and so we went with this one. Um, so you asked the question, and we did answer, and I kind of talked a little bit about it, why the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of Faith. Why not just kind of write our own? And, and certainly is a possibility, and certainly um, what we're doing. We're not just adopting wholeheartedly the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of Faith. This is, you know, we're the modified. You can see that modified there. And, and so we can add to it because there's going to be certainly things that we're going to need to add to this and change over over time as as time uh, uh, time goes. Uh, uh, we we are most most definitely going to have to write something really soon about our stance on marriage. You know, that's a big that's a big thing that we're going to have to we're going to have to do. We're going with this one just for now because it's for our it's to get us going, get the ball rolling, right? Can't do everything now. Right? Got baby steps is is the key. So so why not write one uh, why not write uh, our own? Certainly capable, certainly able to. Uh, well, here's my here's here's my thing. Here's what I say is I like these because they're old. I like them because they're old, right? And I, and I like them because they're old because they've stood the test of time, right? Certainly, I could write something, and, and uh, we, we, could, we could do something, and that's something we even attempted to do at, at Friendship for a time um, and, and such. But, but these, this, is, this has stood the test of time. And I, I remember a, uh, I had a, a pastor who was asking me questions about this last year. And, and, and he just encouraged him. He really pushed hard. He's like, man, he was Presbyterian. So he's wholeheartedly, you know, like Westminster all the way. Um, but he's like, I think the Baptists have some good ones too, don't they? You know, and I'm like, yeah, of course we do. You know? uh, but he was very much, he's like, I would really encourage to go to an old one, hold, because it's because of those, because it's, it's old, it's old, it's, it's, it's stood the test of time. Um, and, it, and, and therefore it's, I think it's worthy to, to give certain look to. Um, so that's why I, I like the London. That's why I like the Philadelphia. I like, I like those. Uh, those things. Um, it's also Baptist, right? It's why we're not looking at the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, right? Uh, good, good confession, but but it's not Baptist. This is. This is very much distinctly Baptist, and we are Baptist. Thank you. That's right. Kelly's a Baptist, right? Uh, we, we're Baptist. That's right. We have, we have been e- immersed. We believe that. We believe in believer's baptism. Right, a big, big deal. So this very much. Uh, it's also biblical. I believe the New Hampshire New Hampshire Confession of Faith is is, is biblical. Um, it's it's also used wide, widely. There are churches that are uh, in, in good, solid biblical churches who who are still using the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, right? Um, and, and and so that's I think that's another. I can look back, or we can look at these other places and say, well, you know, if this church is using it, and, and they seem to be a solid church, and all the things that I've read and seen come out, they've, they've stood the test of time, then, then certainly there's a benefit for a new church plant to, to look, to give it a, a good look. So uh, it's tried, it's biblical, it's widely used, it's also concise, I already talked about that, but although it's concise, it's also detailed. There's, there's good detail uh, to it. It's not, it's not too broad, and, and that's where I think that 
the Baptist faith, the message goes a little bit wider. Their bowling alley is a little bit bigger than, than what, what, what we would need as a church. Uh, let's see. I think this is easy to understand. And if it's easy to understand, then it's easy to explain. Right? And, and that would be another, I think, an issue with some of those older ones, Kelly. The Philadelphia and the London is they're harder, they're harder to read. They're just, if you ever read stuff from back in the, back in the 17th century and the 18th century and, and, and even the, you know, 15th century, it's hard. Those are, that's hard language to understand. And, and so it's, it's helpful to look at something that's uh, written in, in a way that um, now us people who seem to be so technologically advanced are so much dumber than what they used to be. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Um, anyways, so it's, it's helpful to understand. It's easy to understand. Uh, so, so anyways, there's, there's our reasons why, why we were going with this one. So it makes sense. Good. Now we're ready to go to point one. Dun, dun, dun. Any questions on those? So everybody's just kind of buying right in. I love it. You guys are easy. I love it. Praise the Lord. All right. So let's, let's look at the first one of the scriptures. Of the scriptures. Let me open up my, my Bible here because I know I'm going to need it. <laughs> Does your Bible sing to you? No, I pressed the wrong button. That's what that noise was. I was trying to get the Bible. Oh. <laughs> I pressed the one next to it. <laughs> All right. Of the scriptures, let's, let's, let's read it. Uh, we'll read it together here in this first, this, the whole thing, and then we'll just take it line by line. Abby, why don't you read the whole thing to us? We believe, of the scriptures, we believe that the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction, that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter, that it reveals the principles by which God will judge us, and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of, the, of Christian unity, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. All right. So we are we are talking about the scripture, right? The Holy Bible. Why would that be point number one? Because that's where it came from as Bible. Like that's where everything was originated from. You got it. Yeah. Very good. You got it, brother. No, that's exactly right. So so you some like why wouldn't we just put God first, right? Because everything we know about God very specifically, right, and specific revelation comes from scripture. So if you have a weak view or a no view on Scripture, how in the world are you going to determine who God is or who Jesus is or how man is to be saved? How are you, how are you going to do that? Well, you're just going to come up with it. You're going to make up your own little, your own little plan and say that you found them on plates in an upper, upper state New York and move a group of people to Utah, right? That's what you're going to do, right? Um, and, and, and you're going to come up with your own authority. You guys think they caught it. Did you all catch mine? My story. I don't think so. You did you? Did you catch it? Yeah. Did you catch it? No one's got it. Mormons. Mormons do that. Um, so, so here it is. We start off. We believe. I like that. I like that. We believe. Sovereign Grace Church. We believe that the Holy Bible. Right. The Holy Bible. Right? What are we saying? That the Bible is holy. Right. There's an adjective here. We're describing the Bible as being holy. Was written by men divinely inspired, and is a perfect treasure 
of heavenly instruction. So in that first line, what would you say is the point of that first line? That it's divine. It is of God. What's the I word that we use there? Inspired. Inspiration. Right? It's inspired by God. Inspired by God. And and I love how they put this here, right? Written by men divinely inspired. That God in his good providence and sovereignty used man, fallen man, into writing this. and, And taking not only fallen man, but fallen man's history, in a sense, and all putting it in, in Scripture and divinely inspiring it, right? So, so we, so our view is not that uh, that inspiration is is God put, uh, you know, Paul in a trance or Moses in a trance or or he stood there with the pen and said, "All right, God, go for it," and and it was like a Ouija board, right? It wasn't divine Ouija board. Paul sat down, wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus as inspired by God himself as writing a letter to them, and yet it was inspired by God. Same thing with Moses, same thing with all these other guys, right? David, you know, God using men divinely, men who are fallible, but yet writing infallible words. Divinely inspired. Very good. The perfect treasure of of heavenly instruction right so so looking at a few texts of course we got to go to second timothy chapter three so second timothy chapter three 16 and 17 someone read that out for me uh, all scripture is breathed out by god profitable profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be competent equipped all right. All scripture is breathed out. All scripture is inspired, divinely inspired uh, uh, by by the Lord. Go to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Miss Susan, you go to Acts chapter 1 verse 16. James, you go to John 10, 33 through 35. John 10. Mm-hmm. All right, Second Peter. Someone read that. Second Peter one twenty one. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How about that? Right? And show us God, its inspiration, was ever produced. Why it wasn't ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, very good. Okay, read Acts 1. For first the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. All right, so in Acts 1, 16, we have here scripture uh, uh, being being quoted, right? Being quoted as as inspired and, and given by the Holy Spirit, all right, and, and spoken by the mouth of David. So David prophesying concerning Judas, right? So Scripture affirming 
what? Once again, other scripture is inspired. Okay, James, go to John 10. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. Okay, 33 through 35. Oh. Sorry, I added a couple extra verses there. Go ahead. 33. Mm-hmm. The Jews answered him, is, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. So Jesus... What is Jesus doing? He is using Scripture, once again, as inspired Word of God. He's quoting it, saying that it was from God. So if, if Jesus says that the Bible is from is divine, divinely inspired, then certainly I can say the same thing, and I can believe the same thing. Psalm 119.11, anybody know that one memorized? I have hid your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Why? Why would we hide the word in our hearts from sinning? Because it's God's word. Because it's, it's God's, God's word. So here you are. Divine. Here's divine inspiration. Right here in our, in our very first line of what we believe. We believe that the scripture, the word of God, is inspired by God, given by God for his church. For his church. Let's go to point two. That it has God for its author. Salvation for its end. So here we have the divine purposes of scripture. Right? The authorship and the purposes of, of God. So if you're, if you're still back in... If you're still back in... Uh, uh, 2 Timothy, look back at 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. So we just read all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction. But what does verse 15 say? Mm-hmm. There it is, right? In the sacred writings, the scripture, the scripture is which is able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. So our, yes, salvation comes by grace and all that. We, we get all that, but, but we see that the scripture is where all of these things is where we have, we've learned these things. Salvation comes from scripture. The end of what scripture is, or what scripture does, is it brings salvation for its people and God is its author, and that is the, the purpose and end of it. And God revealing himself to us is to bring about salvation. So here's the, the purposes of Scripture for, for salvation. All right, look at number three. That it reveals the principles by which God will judge us. That it reveals the principles by which how God I skipped one, didn't I? And the truth without any mixture or error for its matter. I'm sitting there looking at it going, that's not the right one. And truth without any mixture of error 
for its matter. So when we're saying that, what are we saying about that statement that we're saying about the Scripture? That it is inerrant. So when we say, in our, when our statement of faith, we would probably would have written it, you know, divinely inspired, inerrant, and infallible, uh, and, and yet a lot of people probably wouldn't understand what that means, but when we read this, we see that it, that in truth, without any mixture of error for its, its matter, we are saying that the scripture is inerrant, right? Without, without error, it has no error in it, it is God's word, there's, there's no mistakes in there. Does that make sense? And inerrancy is a big deal. Because what if it was errant? Like our state if like our statements of faith are. Say that James? We couldn't put our trust into it. We couldn't put our trust in scripture, but if we couldn't put our trust in scripture then Okay, but what else? Well, yeah, obviously, but what else? <laughs> What's that? We can interpret anything at any time, the whatever way we want it to sound like. We can we can make it. We can pick and choose. We can rip pages out. We can do whatever we want, right? Isn't it just a matter of interpretation? It can be, <laughs> right? Do y'all hear? You ever heard that statement before? Yeah. Right, that may be what you believe, but that's not what I believe. Right, that that can be pretty hairy ground there, right? So, so what we are saying is that when it comes to the scriptures, we are saying that it is scripture alone because it is inerrant. And so, when the Word of God tells us something about who Jesus is and about who God is, we believe it. We don't try to apply our own felt needs and desires to it, and what we want Jesus to be or who we want God to be. It's inerrant. The yeah buts go away. Let's give God the yeah buts. Let him say, yeah but. Look at the scripture. Well, that's the statement of faith. Look at the scripture. So it is, it is inerrant. So it's, these are the things that I think we've kind of encountered our, our whole entire lives. But to apply inerrancy, I think, is a different, is a different scope. Because we may say we believe the inerrancy of Scripture, but in so many times we we deny that that authority to to the Scripture. Um, uh, James, go to se- uh, John seventeen, verse seventeen. Kelly, you go to Proverbs thirty, verse five and six. Let's read these on inerrancy. John seventeen, one. Mm-hmm. verse seventeen. Y'all listen to this, what James, what James is about to read. 1717. 1717. 1717. Okay. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Do you have red letters there? Yeah. It must mean Jesus is saying it. That right there, even, and then he goes on and says, If you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I believe just finishing that out, he's saying... The word. The truth. The word. That's right. Sanctifying the truth is the word. Yep. And and what is this section of text? Anybody know what what, what Jesus is doing here? Like what this is all about? This is his high priestly prayer. This is what Jesus is praying as our high priest for his church. For his disciples and for his church. This is what he's praying 
for us right here. Praying for us. That we would be sanctified in the truth of his word. Sanctified in the truth. And the word is truth. And if the word is truth, the Bible is truth, then it is the I word inerrant. Infallible. I like both of them. I forgot about that one. That's a good infallible. Its word is truth. And that's what Jesus is praying, right? That we and then that the church would be sanctified in it. Our sanctification, everything comes through the scripture. I know we're not going to get very far tonight, and I apologize. But this is why we say, why we have said from the beginning that the most important thing that we do as a church and the most important thing that we have as a church is good, solid, expositional preaching and teaching. And I'm not just saying that because that's what I'm doing, because that's what I do. But that's because of the Word of God. We, we, we hold it to that high of esteem, right? We don't bow down to it, right? It's not an idol to us. We're not taking our ESVs and bowing down to them. We don't have a golden ESV anywhere. But we, we hold it to that higher regard. Does that make sense? Does that, does that make sense? Does that shift maybe the worldview a little bit on, on the, the, the importance of Scripture and, and the way God is telling us and showing us about what His Word is? Um, I, I guess we could have went to John chapter 1, right? I mean, we, we absolutely could go to John chapter 1, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And by golly, the Word is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. Right? And here he's saying, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in, in the word, which is me. Right? In, in my words, the Bible is me. Amen. Jesus says, what, and Jesus says, eat of, eat, of my, eat of my flesh. I'm the bread of life. What is he saying? Eat of the word. Eat of the word. Don't starve yourself. Don't oh, eat it somewhere else's. Don't go, I'm the living water. Don't go drink dead water. Go drink living water. Where's, what, what does that come from? I am the living water. Well, where's the living water now? Where do you get living water? Is it the Hillsong songs? Where's your living water? The Chris Tomlin songs? Sovereign Grace songs? Where's it? It's in the Bible. Our living water's in the Bible. It's in, it's in us. It, it, it's, it's this right here. I'm pointing at my, my, my iPad. But, <laughs> but, but, but even, I mean, your Bible's in front of you. It's right there. This is the living water. What a... What a gift. What a gift that you have like a thousand versions on your, your bookshelves, right? Or the different types. You have a hundred different types. And what a, what a gift. And, and, and oh, how I could go back to history and walk you through history. The gift it is that you even have a copy. The men and women who died. Horrific deaths. So that we could have a Bible. So you wouldn't have to learn Latin. I tried. <laughs> you tried. It didn't take. It didn't take. Right? Right? Think about that. Think about that. And, and because, and, and you want to know why? Because those, those men, they believe that the Bible is inspired by God, that it is the purpose on the God to salvation, and that for people to be saved, they need to read it. They need to see it. And that it is completely inerrant. So when we say 
What what is the Latin phrase that we use here? It's one of the solas. What do we say? Sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone. We're saying that because this is this right here. We haven't even finished this point yet. And already, look how rich, look how rich it is. All right, go ahead and read Proverbs thirty. Proverbs thirty five and six. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. If if Lexi was here, I would ask her what refuge means. And she would say it means safety. And every word is true, right? And in this word is where we find refuge. Um, some, some of us who had had enough personal experience in life where you could say that you can, you can resound to what the, that proverb or even what the psalmist has said in several occasions of, of writing that that the word of God is that refuge, and it legitimately is that refuge. It is that, it is that shield, because you've ran there and you've seen it. You've ran there and you've seen it. What time is it? Oh, gosh. We can do one more. Can we get do one more? Bill, can we do one more? <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's do, let's do one more. Here's the next one. Right? So, I actually already read it. So, that it reveals... The principles by which God will judge us. What does he mean here? And it reveals the principles by which God will judge us. I believe he's going to, judgment day, he's going to use his word and what you believed about it to. Okay. All right. I think it's the same answer as the last one. And? What's he going to judge us by? Jesus. Boom. The truth. The word. Very good. So there it is. That's right. So here it is. We have we have this this revelation right now. God has revealed Himself uh, uh, to us. Man, Romans Romans two. Who wants to go there? How about uh, Carson? You haven't done anything yet. Come on. <laughs> Romans Romans two. Carson, you go to Romans two. James, you've already been in John John twelve a bunch. Go to John chapter twelve. You can read those. Yep. James. Carson, you're at Romans 2. By the way, the next verse, if you, if you don't have the corrected version, it is actually 1 Corinthians 4.14. It's not 4.34. There's not 34 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's verse 14. I fixed that. Yes. Romans, uh, John 12, 14 through 48. Carson, you read Romans 12, 12, 2, 12, yes. It's on the paper. It's on the paper. John, you're reading John. James is reading John. I know this can be confusing. We're toast, man, we're toast. All right, Romans 2, 2 12. Carson, that is not a book of the Bible, that's your name. Go for it. Read. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Bam! God will judge us according to the principles by which he has been revealed. There it is. Read John 12. James, your name. Johnson. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Which is exactly what he said, right? There it is. Thank you, James, for reading John. So, there it is, point three, that it reveals the principles by which God will judge us. So, so Scripture shows us very, very specifically by which we're going to be judged. And this, this, is, this is a perfect place to, to, to reiterate that the reason we have a statement of the faith is because we are counterculture. And that the culture does not teach this, does not preach yeah. this, does not accept this, does not believe this, no. and 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 finds us to be uh, contrary to what's popular, because what's out there in the world, huh? What heck? What's the measure? What what are you going to be judged by? Works. Yeah. Works. It works. Yeah. How good you are. Yeah. And man, that's what that's what you get in popular press. That's what you get yeah. on the television. That's what you get. And all the popular media, and that's what you can get from your friends and neighbors. They're not true believers and students of Scripture. Yep, very much. It's what we want to believe, right? It's what we want to believe. Um, Very good. So we said one more. We're going to stop. I think, too, you and I mentioned it a week or two ago, and I know y'all remember one, but it's not just you've got mainline churches right now that's in the Baptist that are basically denying the this very teaching that we're going through right now, that you don't need the scripture. Yeah. I think I know what you're referring to, too. Yeah. It's Andy Stanley. I'm yeah. not going what was the quote? There it is. And he also, you know, has another on uh, expository preaching, which I believe this proceeds straight to that. I believe this comes. Yeah. When you deny this, you, you're going to deny. Yeah. It's unfortunate. <clears throat> but he's not the only one. It's, yeah. 